We're going to open up the word uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let's say a prayer before we start that. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you did die for us, that you shed your blood so that sins could be forgiven, and that you paid the price, and we can go to heaven because you're, you're paid that price. And we just thank you, ask you to bless this time as we open the word, guide and lead us into what you'd want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting at verse 14. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it be happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this is also is vanity. Then I commend commended mirth, because man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on, upon the earth, there also, for there also there is neither day nor light, seeing sleep with his eyes. Then I beheld all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man shall think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Here we see Solomon talking about two things and on this point. His first one is one that we all tend to have a problem with. And to break it down, it is why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? And that's what he's saying. You know, in that very first part, he goes, people do good things and they still suffer. And then he goes and says, there are bad people that do really bad things and they seem to be prospering. And we all have had that problem probably in our mind at some point. God, why... Does this person suffer when they're doing really good things? And that person who's always abusing everybody seems to be suffer, you know, not having any problem. Well, two things about that. Number one is you don't know what that person's really going through that seems to be pro uh, prospering. They are full of doubts and fears as much as anybody else. So don't ever think that they've got it made. I mean, oftentimes we look at the superstar athlete or the superstar actor actress we look at the person with lots of money and go wow they've got it all you know they've got everything they can buy whatever they want they can get whatever they need and then the next week you're reading about them blowing their brains out or or committing suicide because they are so miserable and you're thinking well if i had everything i'd be happy no you wouldn't <laughs> okay if our joy and peace is not in god we will never be happy all right and uh, this is something that Solomon's pointed out. Now, the bigger problem is, what are the theological issues with this issue? Is, what are we saying? That there are good people. All right? This is something that we must get out of our brain to begin with. All right? This was the problem Job had and his friends had. If you do good, you get rewarded. And you do bad, you get bad things. All right? It's out there. What does the word say? I hope I'm good enough to earn heaven because if I do more good than bad, God will accept me because I'm basically a good people, a good person. He puts all my works on the scales, and whatever side works out is how we go to heaven, and that is not what God says. 
God says, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and, and he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Right? One sin is enough to be penalized in God's eyes. So the first thing we have to do is get rid of this idea that God owes us anything. All right? God does not owe us any good thing whatsoever. We are sinners in his eyes. What he owes us is hell. You know, that is the first thing to get past what Solomon is saying, get past what Job was saying, get past what other people have come up with, is God owes us nothing. By grace, he became a man who dwelt on this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, taking on all sin upon him, so that by accepting him, we could go to heaven. But it's all a gift of grace. And we've really got to get to this place where we stop thinking of people as good and bad. Now, once God comes into our heart, we will start doing more good than bad. But I don't know of anybody in my entire life that even after they got saved, were good from that point on. They might be better by human standards. They might generally be loving of people, generally being merciful to people, generally being gracious of people but they still make mistakes. They still have a sin nature. They will still disappoint you. Even if you think they're a really good person, there'll still be a time when they disappoint you and do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. Why? Because we have a sin nature. And this is what God says. We don't deserve anything from him but punishment. But his loving grace gives us benefits. His loving grace takes the worst sinner out there who doesn't even know him and gives them benefits. Why does he give them terrible lost sinner benefits? Because then he'll come at the end of their life and say, you never believed me. Look at all that I did for you to try to draw you to me. Why does he give bad, let allow bad things to happen to us? Well, Job is a great example. You know, if you don't understand why God allows bad things to happen to quote-unquote good people, and I don't like that statement, you know, but that was where Job was at. Read the first three chapters of Job. Satan comes and stands before God, and then God says, what have you been doing? Oh, I've been looking around, you know, looking around to create some mischief out there. And God says, have you considered Job? You know, you know, God pointed out Job. Satan didn't go to him and say, God, I'd like to, I'd like to go after Job. It was God saying, well, have you thought about Job? Well, yeah, I've really thought about Job, but... You're protecting him. And God says, okay, you can do. And he allowed him to go so far. And then he intensified it the second. Then he intensified it one more time and the third time. God allows these things to happen to us. Why does he allow bad things to happen to his children? He really wants to say, do we really believe him? Do we trust him? He makes promises to us, and do we really believe those promises? Do we believe that we have eternal life? Do we believe that heaven is what's more important than where we're living right now? Do I believe that all things work together for good according to the purposes of God? Do I believe that he is absolutely sovereign and nothing happens to me without his permission? What will he do to test those? He'll allow hard times into our life. Now I know and I agree with this. Sometimes I might even say, God, could you allow just a few less things in my life? 
Now, but he knows that I need that testing. He knows that we are out there. One of the things that I am struck by every time I read the different biographies of these Christian leaders is how hard life was for them. That they looked at the hardness of their life. You know, we tend to just look at the hardness. We don't look at what's going to come later on. And people go, well, you know, Pastor, I'm getting pretty old. <laughs> well, Abraham could have said the same thing. He was 100 when, they, you know, he was 100 when he had his kid that God promised him. He was 100 before he even see, began to see the fulfillment of the promise. Look at Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers because he dared to tell them that he saw the vision of them bowing down to him. And what was their comments? Let's see, how, let's see what happens with this dreamer's dream now. <laughs> 17, uh, 13 years later, they're bowing down. Well, excuse me. 20 years later, they're bowing down in front of him, not, no, not recognizing him. But Joseph had a long string of time between that. 13 years serving as a slave and if that wasn't enough during that 13 years, he was falsely accused of rape and sent to prison. How would we have reacted in that same situation? I can't imagine. Joseph, 17 years old, and following God with all this craziness going on in his life for 13 years, not seeing the light of any hope that God is who he said he is. And some of us will complain when we go through a week or two of, of problems. Some of us will complain when we're going through one day of problems. Or maybe it is a year of problems. We're having a really bad year. And we start complaining to God. We see a Joseph who went through years. 13 of them before he was promoted. And even then he didn't, didn't ever hope to see his, the promise of his brothers bowing before him. Because it was so far they were hundreds of miles away. He was probably never going to see them again as far as he was concerned. We look at a Daniel carried away into, into slavery to be trained to be a Babylonian advisor. Not, no longer going through Hebrew training, learning about the Babylonian gods, the Babylonian customs, Babylonian language, and going, he could have said, well, this is, this is it. I'm not going to serve God anymore. He went through three years of training before he was even presented to the king. And there's nothing in the Bible that talks about him complaining, God, why is this happening? He just kept his eyes on God and followed him. We look at Paul. You know, Paul's a great guy. He, his, he got saved and life was perfect for him, right? <laughs> you know, everywhere he went, he's being chased out of town. He's being stoned. He's being ridiculed. He's being accused. He's taken scourgings on more than one occasion. And we say scourgings. We don't even think about what scourging is. Scourging literally took the skin off of his back and opened up the muscles to exposure. His back would have been totally scarred after several scourgings. You know, he took several of those in his lifetime. And what did he say in, the, in his epistle? I thank God for these light afflictions mm. when compared to, to heaven. His eyes were focused on God and heaven saying the next life is where, what's important. What I go through here doesn't matter. Solomon's problem here because he said under the sun and remember we've talked about this when he uses the term under the sun he's meaning what goes on in this world 
without God being in consideration. And without God, this world is a terrible place. It really is. This world is a terrible place without God. Bad things happen. And if you have nothing to put your hope in, it's a depressing place to live. Which is why people get into all the sin they get into. They get into their drugs, their alcohol, and, and immerse themselves in the sins to try to find peace, try to find happiness. And nothing will fill that void. And this is what Solomon is saying. David in Second Solomon in, in Psalm 2 said, Why do the heathen rage <laughs> and the nations imagine the, the vain things against God? You know, it bothered him. God, uh, these people are raging against you. How come you haven't destroyed them? We all have this problem. When people are doing wicked things in our life, in our country, wherever, and we see them are going, God, how can you allow such things to happen? Well, the answer to it is really simple. The, the world likes to use that against us as God. If there was a God that was all powerful as you say, there would be no bad things happening to anybody. Well, you know what? God could stop all bad things from happening. We don't want him to. I had that question thrown at me many times by college students. You know, well, if you've got a God who's so powerful, why don't you have him? I go, he could. He could stop people from having a free will. Let me start with you. I'll pray that you will not be able to have free will. You have to do exactly what God wants you to do and not what you want to do. Are we ready for that prayer? Oh, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I go, then quit complaining that bad things happen. There are consequences to sin. Could God stop all sin from happening? Yes, he could take away our free will, and we would be robots doing exactly what he wants. There would be no bad things happening. We would have no choice in matter. We would just be robots. Even us as Christians don't necessarily want that kind of a lifestyle. All right. We want to choose to follow God, and that's what he wants. He wants us to choose to follow him. He wants us to choose to be obedient. And he puts it out there that if you do wrong, there are consequences. Even for us as Christians, we do wrong, there are consequences. We do good, and there are consequences. We like those consequences. We call them rewards. Now, they're no longer consequences when they come in there, and we like them. But, you know... God is saying this. He is the one who has put it into place. He created man knowing that man was going to fall. When he gave him free will, he knew they were going to fall. I don't know why he created man knowing they were going to fall. It seems like a bizarre thing to me. He knew that when men fell that he would have to become flesh and die on the cross to redeem us. And yet he was willing to do that. Do you realize when Jesus went to Pilate and Pilate says, you're not going to answer me? Don't you realize that I have your life in my hand? And, and Jesus answered, you have no authority except it be given to you. We sing one of my songs that I love. He could have called 10,000 angels. I have pictured the angels in heaven standing there by the Father as Jesus was being arrested. Okay, when, when are you going to let us get there? You know, you're, you're being mistreated down there. The creator of the universe, the creator of the angels was being abused. Their job was to protect him and serve him. I can just picture them stand, standing there. Father, the, uh, or God, or whatever they, call, whatever they call God, you know, how can you let this be happening? You know, how can you let this happen? 
this insignificant creatures running around the earth are, are harming you. When are you going to tell us to go? All the way up to death, they were not told to go. Do you realize at any time Jesus could have said, uh, Father, these aren't, the, the people aren't worth it, just take me home. They're just not worth it, and we'll just let them all go to hell. I don't care anymore. It's too much pain. He did not do that. He came to sacrifice himself for us. He took upon himself the sin of the world, all of the sin, all sin, not just those who've cre who accepted him. He took all sin upon himself. What sends people to hell is a very simple statement. They reject Jesus. What sends us to heaven? We accept Jesus. Real simple. I don't go to heaven because of anything I do or don't do other than accept Jesus. The people who go to hell are not going to hell for any other reason but that they reject Jesus. We in humans terms say, well, that person really deserved it. They, you know, look at all the bad things they did. Or I don't understand why that person would go to hell. He's pretty, fairly good mostly. And God says they didn't accept Jesus. You could go to church all your life and go to, and go to hell because you did not accept Jesus. You could be the worst person out there and, and accept Jesus at the last moment and go to heaven. And I have a lot of people, well, that's not fair. Well, what's fair about going to heaven in the first place? There's nothing fair about us going to heaven because it costs Jesus everything. We think we deserve it somehow because we accept him and we do good things. And that sometimes will keep us from ministering to people who need to hear the word of God. Because somehow we think they deserve hell and that somehow we don't deserve hell. And in reality, we all deserve hell. One sin is enough to keep us there. And Jesus died. And this was a problem that Solomon was struggling with. Why, do, why are bad things happening to these good people? And why does good things happen to bad people? And it's still a problem out there. If you take any kind of philosophy class or you have somebody who thinks they're smart, they're going to throw that out at you. There can't be a God. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, so there can't be a God. No. It is a proof that there is a loving God who gives us free will, who didn't create robots. And this is something that's very important for us to understand. We are not owed anything by God. It's all grace. And the more we realize that God's gift is by grace, the more I'm going to be willing to give it to others that need that grace. There's nobody out there that doesn't deserve to hear the word of God and be presented grace. On the flip side, there's nobody so good that they don't deserve to hear the grace of God and the need of Jesus. Because sometimes we may go the other direction. Okay, God, yeah, I know these really bad people need you, but you know, those people are pretty good. I don't need to go see them. And sometimes we'll be criticized if we go to talk to the good, good people, in quotes. <laughs> you know, uh, well, why are you going to them instead of these people right over here that really need it? Because both need it. Both people need it. We need to listen to God. You know, sometimes people will be criticized because they decide to serve here in America where everybody here is a church on every corner. And we have millions and millions of people who aren't saved. They go, well, you should have gone to Asia or Africa or someplace where, where they've never heard the gospel message. Well, maybe God's got his people he's sending there. 
that both groups need to hear. We need to be changing our mind to think like Christ thinks. His love for people, his care for people. And this is where Solomon's at. He does not understand at this point what's going on. All he sees is God being unfair. You know, bad things happening to the quote-unquote good things and good things happening to the quote-unquote bad people. We want to be careful that we don't let that thinking get into our hearts. We are saved. We are still not that great a person except that we're covered by the blood of Christ and God looks at us as we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and he says, these are my perfect children. So God sees us totally different than we see ourselves anyway. He sees us as perfect. Why? Because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, having been under the blood. The other people, their sins are paid for. What does God judge them for? Rejecting Jesus Christ. And they go and they stand before the white throne judgment and they take their good works, which are filthy rags, in front of God and say, God, look at all these nice, wonderful, good things I did. And they look down at their good works and realize they're not presentable before God. And he's going to reject them because they're not perfect. This is God's standard, perfection. And we need to be able to look at ourselves and realize, I don't care how good you think you are or how good you are. None of us is perfect. We all have flaws in our life and we'll have more flaws as we go forward. And most of us will have flaws right this, right this hour that we're in. Because that's who we are. Without the mind of Christ changing us. Now as we get baptized in the Holy Spirit and he fills our, our life and he come, starts coming out, we will become more and more perfect as we walk with him and we change our mind and we renew our mind and we fill our mind with his thoughts. We will become more like him. But in this lifetime, we won't become perfect. We will always have issues. We may go longer between sins. We may be kinder to people. We may be more loving to people. And I hope that is exactly what happens to us as we draw closer and closer to God. And it is what happens as we draw closer and closer to God. But we'll never be perfect. And all of us know there's people out there we've looked at and we think this person's really good and then they do something that upsets us. This person's always building up and edifying and the next thing you know they're saying something sharp, maybe a Jew. <laughs> and making you feel bad. Don't put your eyes on them. Put your eyes on God. Paul said to follow to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. He wasn't saying follow me everywhere. Cults get built on that. Somebody says, well, you gotta, you got to obey me. you got to do what I'm doing. You gotta, I, I am teaching, and my message comes straight from God. One of the things I've told you, if you hear anybody say that you don't need to check the scriptures out and just believe what they say, get as far away from that teacher as you possibly can. Because whether they're right or wrong at that moment, they're setting you up to be taking you down the wrong path. I encourage everybody, get into the word. Check out what is taught. Look it up. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Why? I'm not going to purposely try to take anybody astray, but I am human. I can say and probably have said things that aren't right. And I know there's things I have believed when I read the scriptures and say, oh my goodness, God, I used to think something totally different. I sure hope I didn't teach somebody and they took it without looking at the word. God, forgive me. I want people to get into God's word. Know what it is you believe and why you believe it. it and I've shared this over and over. This is just a couple things that I believe are absolutes. One, Jesus is God. 
who lived a perfect life, who died for our sins and rose again three days later to forgive us of our sins. The other one that I've said over and over again, this is the word of God, the absolute truth, the word of God. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. Outside of that, just know what you believe and why you believe it. I'm a strong believer, and you all know that what I believe, I believe very strongly, and I will defend it, and I will preach what I believe. If you don't want to believe it, that's between you and God. Because I believe that the word of God is true, I'm going to look at the word of God and say, God, what do you say in your word? I believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, was invested on the seventh day, and that was about 6,000 years ago. Plain and simple. You know, people go, what about all this science? And I go, what science? <laughs> do you understand that there is no scientific evidence for old earth? There is no scientific evidence that life can spring from nothing like an evolutionist has to believe. Matter of fact, they say exactly the opposite, that life does not spring up from nothing. And I had somebody that told me, well, you know, you know life can spring up from nothing. I go, well, and happily the doctor, I go and said, why do you wash your hands between every, cust uh, every patient? If life, gives, if uh, disease and germs can just spring up out of nothing, why are you washing your hands between each, each uh, patient? Well, you know, I've got to make sure I kill everything. They don't tell me that things can happen, just spontaneous creation. You know, we look at this, everything about science proves God knew what he's talking about. When you apply the things that we know from science to the scriptures, we go, it fits like a glove. So can you be a Christian without that? Absolutely. I mean, you can believe that Jesus died for your sin, and I don't know why you have any sin in your life if, if you didn't, Adam and Eve didn't fall in the first place, but that's another story altogether. We know that God, Jesus had to die because Adam and Eve fell and put sin into this world and changed this world. Do you understand how the Bible all fits together? If, if any part of the Bible is not true, we have nothing to believe in, and we might as well just throw the book away because if I'm picking and choosing what I want to believe in the book, God is not God anymore. It's not God's word. It is my word. My word. I'm picking and choosing what it is, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say God's word is absolutely true. He then goes on. He says, I commended mirth. Eat, drink, and be merry. The Epicureans and the Greeks, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And without God, that really is the only place that we can go. If we don't have God, let's have as much fun in this lifetime as we possibly can because there is absolutely no sense in life. What a sad way to live. You know, then it is. Get as high as you can every night. Have as much fun as you want to have because there's no consequences because once you die, you're dead. Or as we're saying, as the atheist in our day says, when you die, you become worm food. Your body just goes to the ground and it's all over. Everybody will forget you. This is the way the world thinks. And these are two big arguments that Solomon is putting forth that are still out there today from the atheist and the world's people. Well, there's nothing afterwards anyway. How do you know? So we're just going to have as much fun as we can. I know it's not fulfilling. I know I'm not happy with it. But there's nothing afterwards anyway, so I'm just going to have some fun. And by the way, who, why would you say there's a God? Because look at all the bad things that are happening to everybody. These are serious things that you need to be aware of, that people are going to ask you. you know, 
without God, those are true statements. That is why Solomon put in, under the sun, without God. What happens in this world without God? With God, it is a wonderful life. It really is. We accept Jesus Christ and we are born again. We get a spirit that is in relationship with God. He comes in and he fills that emptiness in our heart that was designed for him to fill. It's an infinite emptiness because it was designed to be filled by an infinite God. And I love this. I love that God comes and he lives in every single one of us that have accepted him. And we go, well, how can that be? Well, God is infinitely large. You know, he can give us all of himself in each and every one of us and not be diminished at all because he is infinite. And we can't comprehend that as a human being. We go, there has to be some subtraction. If he's in a million people, there has to be some subtraction in God. And there's not because he is infinitely large, infinitely strong, and can live completely in every single one of us. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in us. You know, what a picture. All of God dwells in every one of his children because of how large he is. And it's an amazing thing that we look at. God loves us so much that he's done that for us. And we want to be able to, sh to, be able to share this with everybody, looking at what's going on, because God is there. And he tells us at the very end of this that we can't even know God in the first place. Every time we think we begin to know God, he shows us that we are so far, sh far, far short of him. You know, Isaiah tells us that he is higher than, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways. And they will always be greater and higher. As we spend time in eternity, he will always be greater and higher than us, even when we are getting a mind that doesn't forget. And a more and greater knowledge of him, he will still be higher than him. Our goal is not getting to heaven and becoming God. Our goal is to get to heaven and being fulfilled in a relationship of closeness with him that has nothing in between it. Okay, And this is important for us to understand. You know, Job says that God is high above us and we can't know his secrets. In, uh, in, uh, earlier in Ezekiel, it says there's, there is nothing good without God. You know, what an amazing thing. In, second, in 1 Corinthians, it says that we have the mind of Christ and still we don't know God. You realize that we have the mind of Christ. When you become a Christian, he lives in us and we get his mind. We are transformed which in the Greek is metamorphosed, which means metamorphosis. Just like the caterpillar builds its cocoon around it and comes out a butterfly, God says, you are changed. You are a brand new creature when you come out of that, with a new mind, a new way of thinking. And hopefully you've experienced this. You have a different way of thinking. You no longer dislike the people. You're no longer looking for revenge. You're more likely to love somebody. You, you feel the guilt when it's time when, you, when people come in and, and hurt you and you, you retaliate. And you feel the guilt. Or you're getting ready to lie and all of a sudden there's that conscious that pricks you real bad all of a sudden and say, don't do it. Well, you do do it and it really pricks you and says, you, why did you do it? 
You know, one of the things I know that there's a God is because every time I think about or, or do something wrong, he's right there telling me I did something wrong. And before, it didn't happen. I got into his word, and the more and more it happens. Our encouragement, let's let God dwell in us. Let's really realize who he is and share him with other people and follow out with them. If you don't know Jesus, today would be the day to do it. And I usually say this because we're on this internet and people will listen to this. And I know the testimony in this room that people are saved, but if you're not, today's the day to, save, to be saved. Today is the day to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Come, and, come into me and change me. And but for us as Christians, we need to go forward and share the gospel. Share the gospel. Simple ways. Live it out. Take tracks with you. Pass out tracks. Tell people about Jesus. And let them know that there is a God. You know, and I've said this so many times. So many of us are worried about one thing. What if somebody asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? And you all know that I've said one very thing. That's the very thing you want to have happen to you if outside of them getting saved. Because you go, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to go find the answer. Can we talk next week or tomorrow or however long it's going to take you to find the answer? And then you've got two times to tell them about Jesus. And hope they ask you a third time a question you can't answer. You get to keep, telling, keep coming back and talking to them about Jesus. It is a powerful tool. And the thing that we fear the most becomes the greatest thing in evangelism that can happen to us. They asked us a question I did not know the answer to. The one thing I tell you, there's an answer to every single question they can ask you. You may not know it, but somebody out there knows the answer. All you got to do is go back and find that answer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for how big you are and how kind you are and how you love us. Lord, we thank you that you give us the desire and the ability to come before you and to choose you. We thank you that you are God and you are sovereign and you have everything under control. Lord, we ask you to give us power and strength to share your love with others. And Lord, that you will guide and lead us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.